0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 37 of Three Course Politics. I'm Hills. And I'm Josh. And on today's pod for you, we have your appetizer is going to be all about Marjorie Taylor Greene, expelling her from her committee, what she means, how terrible is she, how much worse is she than Trump, maybe a (laughs) lot worse. We don't know yet. She's certainly stupider. (laughs) And for your entree today, we're going to be talking about the American Rescue Plan, and that's the COVID relief bill. What, why, how, what you should look for, what you should pay attention to, what we think is coming around that. So it's going to be all about that. Your life under lockdown is going to be more about the vaccines. There, is, there are more vaccines. There are more data about the vaccines. So we're going to be talking uh, very shortly about that. And your dessert is all about how Lou Dobbs has got no job. Lou Dobbs got canned by Fox News, and we have been loving it all weekend long. So you're going to be hearing all about that. Josh, you have any thoughts about any of the topics today? I'm just so
1: excited about Lou Dobbs losing his job. That's that's just phenomenal news. And the American Rescue Plan seems like something that should be a no-brainer, something that Congress should pass right away. So I'm excited to talk about Uh, those
0: two things in particular you you came to the right place sir and (laughs) have you subscribed to the podcast if you haven't subscribed and you're listening we'd love to invite you to do it right now it'll help get your episodes quicker you can hear us in your fee you don't have to search for us all you have to do is go on your podcast app wherever you're listening click and subscribe and if you really love us leave us a written review on the podcast app of wherever you're listening If we get five or more reviews, it will make the show turn up for more and more people. So that would be super, super helpful, and it will truly help. With that, Josh is going to bring you a very sweet pre-dinner shot question, and that's coming right up. Your pre-dinner shot question. So your
1: question is, when was the last time the Senate was split 50-50? And then you had 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans. So once again, when was the last time the Senate was split 50-50? Hills, it's a good question.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen very often, right? You have a completely divided country.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, the country is completely polarized right now, so it's not a huge surprise that we have 50-50, uh, but it has happened a couple times in our past, so we're just looking for the last time that it happened. If you know the answer, you can go ahead right now and just shout it out. If you're on the street, doesn't matter anymore, just shout it out. Just tell the world. If you don't, good news for you. We're we going to tell you at the end of your podcast. But, We have your appetizer about Marjorie Taylor Greene, and that's coming up right now. For your appetizer, we're going to talk talk about everyone's favorite kook, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Talk about who she is, what she is, (laughs) and then what happened with her, and uh, why should we care? So, for starters, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a congresswoman who represents the fourteenth district in, in Georgia. If you look at the map, it is a very large district, and it is just northwest of where Atlanta is, so you can picture that out for you geography folks. She was elected to the House in 2020, in November, where as soon as she was elected, she immediately uh, sought to help Trump overturn the election. She was one of the people who voted to overturn the election results on January 6th, even after people We're storming the Capitol and uh, looking to hang members of her party. So she has some, uh, well, (laughs) some weird uh, views that uh, are undermine democracy. Hills. She might be the craziest person to ever have been in government of any kind.
0: Yeah, at least in modern modern history, for sure. right? Right. I've come to terms that she is like a QAnon influencer, right? Social media influencer. And then like someone told her she should run for Congress. And she was like, okay, I'm going to do that. She won because her district is the most Republican.
1: Now there's another QAnon supporter, Lauren Bobbitt, I think is her name from Colorado, but she is, she is sweet and sane as apple pie compared to this lady. So let's talk about her, her crazy beliefs. Uh, one, she believes in Pizzagate, which for those of you not familiar, says that Democrats are running a human trafficking and child sex ring out of a pizza shop. So that's, that's great. Uh, number two, she's a QAnon supporter. Okay, which uh, QAnon believes that a secret cabal of Satan-worshipping cannibalistic Democrats, or sorry, Democratic pedophiles, who are attempting to over to overthrow and undermine former President Trump. Didn't work out so well for them. Three, she believes that school shootings are false and fake, and the victims are crisis actors. Four, she believed that 9-11 never happened, and that it was an inside job. Uh, five, thinks that the fires in California were caused by Jewish space lasers. And number six, she filed articles of impeachment against Joe Biden on day two, because she said, quote, he is an illegitimate president. Now, she seems to have walk, walked back some of these statements, uh, okay, Marjorie. Sure, go ahead. And she she did not denounce them. She just, just said like, of course, nine eleven happened, and I've never said anything QAnon related until until I was sworn in. Doesn't explain you know the school shootings and the Jewish space lasers and Pizzagate and everything else. But Hills, what are your thoughts on some of these theories that
0: she has? They're absolutely insane. They're rife with you know. Uh, anti-semitism they're rife with all the isms that you can think about and part of me just kind of feels bad right like she is the personification of what's wrong with the republican party of just like their education levels like if uh, yes if you're educated you can certainly believe in conspiracy theories but i mean look at this like (laughs) pizzagate QAnon you know false flags for school shootings a jewish space laser i mean that comes with like inherent lack of education like even you can you can make a lot of money and still be really (laughs) really stupid (laughs) so it, it makes me feel bad but also it's dangerous it's dangerous that enough people in her district were just like yeah i believe the same things you do because i see them on social media because of people like you so it's just like a constant a constant cycle, and like she's a personification of like all the wrong things in the Republican Party.
1: All of her theories are no longer; they're crazy. They're just they, they undermine democracy. You know, they they undermine the truth. What's disheartening, I think, is if for some reason we were to uh, kick her out of Congress, right? Which we'll get to in a second. If that were to happen, the people in the 14th district of Georgia would send back someone even crazier, if that's possible, right? So there's a real issue here, which is, you know, the truth doesn't matter. And that's something that I think America is going to be struggling with for quite a while.
0: I think that's a great point. And you know why truth doesn't matter is because you had, you know, ecosystems like the Fox News, OANN, uh, uh, Newsmax, and of course, Trump, all promoting this stuff because they 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 want to win right how do you win you convince the other side that the other people are lying and that they're living in this false reality so they've created this bubble for these their supporters who you know don't ever want to be called wrong and these supporters also have a lower you know they're they're more disadvantaged in terms of the education system i think largely in these republican districts you see the medium household income levels they're all much lower than where Democrats or people who vote Democratic end up living. So like, not all the time, but you know, a lot of the times it's rural areas. It's just terrible cycle.
1: And last thing before we move on is in these cycles, you know, in these areas where these people win, it's it's all about it's not your fault that you where you are, but someone put you there. Mm-hmm. There's a system that, that, that's fighting against you. And, and I'm here to break that system for you. Right. And when Marjorie Taylor Greene was being censored, and again, we're going to get there in a second, she raised over a million dollars from these poor people in Northwest Georgia. I don't mean poor in terms of you know, uh, socioeconomic status, but I just mean poor in just taking advantage of and listening to this person. And, there, and she got a million dollars you know that, that, that she can use for pretty much whatever she wants. Well, we're going to move on a little bit and talk about her a little bit more. And what happened? So on February 4th, she was stripped by the House of Representatives of of her committee assignments um, on the Education and Labor and Budget Committee. Okay, so she was removed from both of her committees. Now, it is very rare to see the entire House make this decision. Uh, This is something that is usually done just within the party itself. Uh, Steve King of Iowa was stripped of his committees, but that was done by Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy this time thought that the only punishment should be, well, we'll we'll just change her uh, committee. We'll we'll put her on a new committee. That's not really going to work, Kevin. Hills, my question for you is, does doing this, right, does having the entire House vote to strip someone of a committee, does it spell danger for for Democrats um, if they lose the House? Danger for people like AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashid to leave the squad, are they in danger of losing their House, uh, their committee seats if Democrats were to lose the House in 2021 or sorry, in, in 2022? This is
0: this is a great question. And I think the answer might be yes. And the reason is not because AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Talib, and the rest of their their friends in the House do anything nearly to the level or anything even close or anything even comparable to the level of what marjorie taylor Greene has said in her past but it's just because politics isn't vindictive right like a lot of republicans see those members of congress as radical and terrible and i mean ilan omar has said a couple of things that like maybe she shouldn't have said but like nothing to the level that marjorie taylor Greene has said and I can easily see them being like, oh, this person's a threat. See, this is the statement they made. So I can see this being routinely used by the House of Representatives, but I'm really hoping that that's not the case because, like, this is not... They're not... It's a false equivalency here, right? The things that they say are not even in the same ballpark as what Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene says. And they're not doing this to all the other guys who have said the same things. They're doing this to one person. So... Hopefully, right. we don't see this, but knowing Republicans, they're going to take this and ramp it up by a, a thousand percent.
1: I think it's important for Dems in the House to to have done this. It's the same reason why you impeach Trump, right? It may not make a huge difference, but there are consequences for things that you say, right? Your words have actions. And I think, you know, as to whether it could impact people like AOC or Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib in the future, absolutely, it could. But... If Republicans got control in 2022, they were going to do it anyways, right? I mean, I, 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 like, like you could see a scenario where the Republicans just do it anyways, right? So you have to at least protect democracy a little bit um, uh, and things that, that, that you can't just say whatever you want to, right? Uh, also, Dems should use Marjorie Taylor Greene as the face of the Republican Party right? Green has openly said that she wants to continue to pull the party to the uh, right. That's good. Democrats should let her do that, right? Let her make her party more extreme. Make the GOP choose who their party is about. Are they, you know, these moderate, fiscally conservative people, right? Or are they anti-democracy, fascist kooks? Let them decide. Um, Use this to polarize the voters and get them and get the um, representatives on record as who you support. Um, The map for the House in 2022 is bad for Dems, right? But the strategy for them is to define the GOP, make them the party of Green and Trump. If they are that, if they embrace that party, then great. Look how radical they are. You know, look how look how right wing extremists they are. If they're not, then you call them out for their cowardice. And that, I think, is, is a map for Democrats in 2022.
0: I think you're completely right about that. I mean, Trump is is off social media, right? So he's and he's also out of office. So a lot of the a lot of these voters, maybe in the suburbs, maybe people who voted for a Democratic for the first time in their lives for Biden, they didn't vote for the down ballot folks. They voted just for Biden. So how do you get those voters right. to stay? I mean, maybe not the best long-term strategy of using a boogeyman. I mean, this is what the Republicans do. I think it could be a really good component of their long-term strategy of, hey, this is, as you just said, this is the Republican Party. This is who they are They're letting in their party. Don't believe all the other stuff they say about fiscal responsibility because they don't believe it anyway, <laughs> right? Because they, they right. added trillions to the deficit and the, the debt with the tax cuts. But I, I totally agree. Make make these really radical congresspeople a component of your communication strategy. So and at least use them as a means to demonstrate, oh, look at what the Republicans got on their end. You want them to be in power? No. But look at what we're doing right now for you. You have to have that second part in there. Right. But yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think making Marjorie Taylor Greene the face of the Re- Republican Party for the, the next era is not the worst idea.
1: No. Yeah, absolutely. I think you 100 percent should. But- Anyways, that is Marjorie Taylor Greene. We talked about who she is, what she did, what happened, and why Democrats should care in the future. So hope you are not too full from your appetizer because your entree about the American Rescue Plan is coming up right now.
0: Welcome to your entree today, and we are talking all about the American Rescue Plan, which is Biden's COVID relief plan. That's what he's calling it. That's the name of it. It's a great name. can't deny that. So what is the American Rescue Plan? So let's dive right into that. The basics is that it will send out another $1,400 to most Americans, though the line on income is unclear right now. And I will include all of the links to the pieces that explain what's in the American Rescue Plan uh, in the show notes. So it will have another $1,400 for people, And you'll be getting that via bank transfer or by check, whichever way you got the other ones. I'm sure it'll be around the same. It will have a lot of aid to state and local governments. This is something that a lot of uh, state and local politicians have asked for because they got hit between less taxes, people moving, no income, no jobs. All that stuff really damaged their budgets. Uh, Also, because they had to do a lot of it themselves because the federal government under Trump, didn't do anything when COVID started. $15 $15 minimum wage will not be in this bill. It just came out the other day. Biden said that would have to be done separately. It might be because of reconciliation, the way that they're doing this bill. We're going to go into that in a second, but it might be because they're doing this bill a certain way, a certain procedure in Congress, and maybe it just doesn't match up because of the rules it will have a lot more aid to industry and businesses but the details are not yet finalized yet so i can't really tell you exactly what's going to be in it until it gets released the cost is expected to be 1.9 trillion dollars and some say the package is actually too low because under obama everyone was trying to say that one trillion dollars was too much and that was in the midst of one of the worst economic recessions we've ever had so that's about the expected cost of this bill. Democrats are using a method known as reconciliation, which allows for votes on budget-based laws to be passed by a simple majority, which is 51%. So if you're using reconciliation, the legislation has to be about money and budgets. And it's been used for the tax cuts before, and it the process was set up. I don't know all the details about the process, but it's set up that you only need 51%. And this is very important because it means that in the Senate, when they control 51% of the votes in the event of a tie, they do not need Republican support. GOP has used this many times for the tax cuts, the repeal, almost repeal of the Affordable Care Act and other bad legislation. So this is a common thing. And, you know, lastly, though, the GOP did make a good point recently that only 20% of the last stimulus bill has been disbursed. It's a good flag that money from the government needs to get out the door smoother in a steady and verified manner. But it also, you know what, that money needs to get out and then we need to do even more because we're going to get this economy back on track. There needs to be more money pumped into it. So, Josh, what do you think about the American Rescue Plan?
1: Well, I obviously support the plan. I think it's a great thing that needs to happen. You know, as Biden has said, and I think we'll, you know, talk about this a little more, but the risk is doing too little, you know, um, and even the West Virginia governor said, like, look, we spend $1.9 trillion, we spend it, you know, like, people are hurting and the the, the the economy is still teetering on the edge of a total collapse. Not to mention the the pandemic has absolutely ruined the lives of so many Americans and taken almost half a million people have almost died from it. Uh, the risk is doing too little, you know. Worst case scenario, we, we, we spend too much and, you know, we turns out we spend too much. Okay, well then, you know, that is what it is. You know, I think Americans would appreciate and would value more getting a deal done, right, that is too much and, you know, helps out those people who have lost their job or helps out people who are struggling uh than have done too little but say, hey, well, at least we're going to get our budget under, under control. Like, no one cares about that right now. People care about... Being helped, people care about, you know, how am I going to make uh, the rent payment? How am I going to make the mortgage payment? How am I going to buy groceries this week? Right? People aren't thinking about, oh, the 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 debt is just too much, unless you're, you know, Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley. Um, but pe- people care about just getting back to normal. And if Biden can frame this bill around, this is going to help us get back to normal quicker. Then I think uh, there should be more support for it
0: than just 51 percent. People don't – Republicans say they care about the debt. They don't because they had four years under Trump to do something about the debt, and they only made it bigger. And they, they actually don't care about the debt. And I think it's good politics to help people now because people are not going to – they don't care about paying down the debt when they can't buy food. They, they really don't care. And although maybe folks listening to this podcast maybe are in a better economic situation, there are so many people out there who haven't worked in months who have bills to pay and are worried about their home and aren't getting evicted just because there are laws on the books saying that they can't get evicted or else they would have been homeless so there it, the situation in this country is very very bad because of the virus and because Trump the Trump administration just <laughs> they just said okay we're going to let this happen and we're going to lie about it instead of actually getting in front of it <laughs> yeah it's not great so yeah, <laughs> not great at all. So why does this all matter? Why does the American, res- why does the American Rescue Plan matter? What is it going to do? Well, we're in this place because Trump, as we just said, didn't do anything about COVID. He downplayed it. He, you know, didn't get in front of it. He knew, he knew back before COVID hit the United States, when it was just circling, circulating in China, there was intelligence that this could be really bad. You know what he could have done? Then he could have authorized the Defense Production Act. He could have had PPE. He could have had masks and stuff made. He could have jumpstarted all that and prepared everyone for it coming here, and maybe we wouldn't be in the place we are now. But here we are. So this will be the first or second bill that passes Congress, and it will likely pass in March. Biden know you know Biden will be known for how it's implemented and dispersed to the American public, and be- this is a huge monumental spending package. And as we said before, thanks to hindsight in 2009, Democrats are going to go even bigger since they know they probably only have one shot at passing a package like this. So this is a huge, huge piece of legislation. The intention is to get the economy back on track and, you know, with support of vaccines and getting people vaccinated, these two things should maybe get the country back into a better place. Um, and I think it's, it's refreshing, isn't it, how Biden actually wants to help people and, <laughs> you know, help other people's families, but not his own, right? It's kind of refreshing <laughs> that we have a president who cares about people again. And on the, GO- on the GOP, the ceiling of the GOP support is lower than what the Democrats will be compromising on. And what I mean by that is that we would have to compromise so much, maybe even too much, to even possibly only get six or seven GOP senators. So that's not a compromise worth taking, and Biden is the one thinking about this. So here's a clip of Biden actually saying that, kind of. Let's listen.
1: I'd like to be, uh, like to be doing it with the support of Republicans. I've met with Republicans. There's some really fine people who want to get something done, but they're just not willing to go as far as I think we have to go. I've told both Republicans and Democrats, that's my preference to work together. But if I have to choose between getting help right now to Americans who are hurting so badly and getting dry, bogged down in a monthly negotiation or compromising on a bill that's, that, that, that's up to the crisis, that's an easy choice. I'm going to help the American people who are hurting now.
0: So there you had Biden saying that. That's kind of where I think he's thinking about at this moment. Josh, what are your thoughts on all this?
1: Yeah, I mean, look. Trump put us in the place that we are in now, right? If we had had Hillary or someone else uh, competent uh, when this pandemic started, um, we would have been passing more bills and we wouldn't maybe not need to pass an almost $2 trillion bill, right? But as you said, Hills, uh, Democrats learned in 2009 that going too small causes problems and it's not going to rejuvenate the economy as much as going big would, right? So Democrats, they have the, the votes just barely with Kamala and they're ready to, to go big. The The framework of the bill, right, has passed through the House and the Senate. So they're free now to pass this through uh, budget reconciliation. It will take some time. Uh, they have to work out certain things. You know, I think we're going to talk a little bit later about like what would be included in the bill, what might not make it through the bill, but the framework is there, right? It passed the House and the Senate. You know, Kamala Harris used her power as vice president and broke the, the 50-50 tie. But you know, the GOP's counter um, agreement, when Susan Collins and Mitt Romney and the ten people went over to the White House, it was like it was like 1.6 billion or something like that. Like it's just it's just not enough. And you look at like where they're t- t- trying to cut aid. They're trying to cut aid to, to states. They're, they're, they're trying to make it so that people get less money, right? And, and this is a losing argument for the GOP. So Biden, you know, he, you know, to his credit, he made a promise that I'm getting these checks out. I'm not going to compromise what I said in week three of the administration on passing this bill. Like you said, he's open to the line of people of income you have to have to qualify for the, for the bill, but he's, he's passing it right? And um, he should not compromise. And he's saying all the right things of, I would love for the GOP to come on. I want to pa- pass this bill through bipartisanship, but the reality of the situation is that their bill is not comparable to what I'm offering. It's, it's not enough, right? And, you know, fool me once, shame on, on, on you. F- fool me twice, shame on me. You know, Biden has learned from 2009 he was in charge. Obama put him in charge of getting the economy back on track and The record and hindsight show he did too little. So he's not going to make that mistake again. I think he should push on full steam ahead um, and let's get the people what they need. And what they need is help. What they need is vaccines. What they need is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think Biden is offering that leadership to people right now.
0: Yeah, I think you make a good point on the Republicans, Josh. It's like, why are they offering such little? aid right i mean they they might be thinking well only 20 percent of the bill that we passed in december actually got dispersed but you know what like who cares yeah <laughs> like who cares like obviously i mean these these republican politicians keep getting elected so i don't know how they do that but they after they obviously are so disconnected from their constituents here being like okay another 600 billion will help for sure but it's not gonna it's not going to have the elastic impact that we need to open up and get back to normal again, right? There are so many businesses that are out of business. I mean, I, in New York City, so many of these, these local restaurants are just gone, and they're not coming back. Yeah. $600 billion is not going to help people start a business again. Certainly not.
1: Biden, he told people, he told them in December, he said, I, we should pass something now right? But it's only a down payment. We need to pass something else. So he told people that there was going to have to be more spent and show me, find me the, the the voter in the United States who is struggling, uh, right now. And they say, okay, so we can do, uh, a lot more and maybe it's too much, right? But we can make sure that you're going to get the help you need, or we can do a lot less. But hey, at least the debt's going to be under control. Like, I just don't know someone who's really hurting from the pandemic is going to go, you're right, let's focus on the national debt. Like, it's just (laughs) let's just get the people what they need, get life back to normal, and then we can talk about how do we balance this budget, right? But it's not going to happen overnight. Like, before we focus on anything else, the budget, whatever, we have to get our country back on track. We have to be able to leave our homes and not you know, fear for our lives. And this bill
0: is going to help do that. And I will say something on unity, because I've heard this being a Republican talking point a while. Oh, Biden wants unity, but then he doesn't want any Republicans on his legislation. I'm sorry, that's not what unity, (laughs) that's not what unity is. Just because unity doesn't mean that you acquiesce to the demands of a minority party all the time. I think Biden is doing the best approach here. He's he has a plan. Republicans can try and negotiate about details of the plan, but he's not going to alter the plan just because they want something in the name of—that's not—it's a non-sequitur. It's not, like, anything related to unity. The
1: fact that 70% of people approve—or 66% of people approve of this bill tells you that it has bipartisan support. The fact that the governor of of West Virginia said, spend what we need to spend— Shows you this bill has bipartisan support. Just because the fifty senators on, on, on in the Senate don't approve this, does not mean that there's no bipartisan support.
0: Ah, the Republican logic. You gotta, you gotta love it sometimes. How they just, <laughs> <laughs> they have no shame. No shame. No shame. So what? What are we going to look for uh, going forward with with the American Rescue Plan? Number one, the bill is expected to pass mid March at the earliest. This is you know time for the bill to be drafted from marked up in committees to go through the process it may seem like a, a lot of time but congress doesn't do much work unless they're <laughs> scheduled to like they work four-day work weeks they like have lots of meetings and stuff so like this is actually fairly quick for a bill this size what will be included in this bill um well we, we listed a few things like the, the stimulus money same local aid but what other contingents will be in it will student loan forgiveness be in it Will other programs be in it how much will lobbyists get to it open questions honestly the bill is not drafted yet we have to see what comes out in it right how fast will the funds get dispersed and will it be by the books that's a really big question and you know obama famously put biden in charge of the stimulus rollout in 2009 and there were no issues so I expect, I actually honestly expect Biden to do the same with Kamala to get her you know, federal government experience ready. How much political capital will this take? Will the Senate have more in them to do this bill? Is it a big lift? I'm betting this is just the beginning of the legislation that gets passed. But you never know with, with these politicians uh, in such a tight environment um, with the numbers. And lastly, will the filibuster stay intact? For this bill, it's not needed. But how much obstruction can Manchin and and Cinema take before they're threatened to take down the filibuster mechanism because the GOP is just not letting any negotiations happen? So I think we need to look through all of these things for the, the American Rescue Plan in the next few weeks. Josh, did I miss anything? Are there things that you liked in that little list that I had? Uh, Hills, you never miss anything. So you did great. No.
1: Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I think the one thing I think that people should be aware of is Biden had wanted to put a fifteen dollar minimum wage uh, in this bill. I don't think that's going to make it. I, I, Joe Manchin is not for fifteen dollar minimum wage, and at least for the foreseeable future, uh, whatever Joe Ma- Joe Manchin wants, Joe Manchin's gonna get. Uh, so I don't think that a federal minimum wage of fifteen dollars is going to be in the bill, but. Um, you know, we can try and, and that, that would have been hard anyways to pass that through a budget reconciliation bill. We'll leave that to fight a, a, another day, but, you know, and, and the bill may come down a little bit. We say one it might be like 1.5 or 1.6 or something. It may come down a little bit so Joe Manchin can go back to West Virginia and tell people that he, he actually got the, the, the bill down and saved them $400 billion or whatever. But bottom line, it's going to be a big bill. It's an important bill, and the timing of mid-March is also when unemployment benefits are set to run out, which be at the end of March, would hopefully extend them through September, uh, and Congress doesn't like to do much unless they're facing a deadline. Hopefully, by mid-March, we have this bill passed and Biden can have his first legislative win. I will say one more thing Hills, is that I think Biden should use the State of the Union coming up in two or three weeks. Oh my God, forgot about that. Yeah, to really pitch this to the American people. To really tell them, here's why I'm doing it. Here's how it's gonna help. Here's what I am doing for you. Democrats having the State of the Union back, which is you know, especially when everyone's home and quarantined, right? Having that um, stage is gonna be a big moment for him. I think this could be a very significant State of the Union, more so
0: than others um, that we've had in the past. I totally forgot about the State of the Union. Oh my goodness! With everything happening, that
1: that's soon, right? Yeah, that's, that's it is. Soon? Oh my is. goodness! I, I think
0: it's. The 22nd or 23rd, maybe? So it's in like two weeks. Wow. Oh, man, I can't wait to watch those again. <laughs> <laughs> and not hate yeah.
1: yourself when you, when you watch them.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just looked. It's, uh, I think it's February 23rd.
1: 23rd, Yep. yep. yep.
0: Yeah. And I, I did miss something, Josh. You gave me praise way too early. And I mentioned this before, but I didn't mention this in this small section, is that the cutoff for the stimulus payments – Right now, there's a lot of talk about targeting them and what income level based on, I guess, your 2019 tax returns, it seems like a very inefficient (laughs) way of doing it, especially since people haven't made that much money if they lost their job all 2020, is, you know, where is the cutoff? Who, you know, for single and married couples, who, what income level should be getting those payments? I think, you know, think about a little bit higher, right? Maybe put 150 for married couples and... Um, you know, cut it off at like 90 or 80 or 90k for singles. Like, I don't know. Like, do something where, like, you're capturing more people, but you want it to be targeted, but you also don't want it to be too targeted, right? This aid is needed for people. So, I also don't know how they figure out... If they base it on 2019 income tax levels, I think that's really stupid. Yeah. Yeah. That's your American Rescue Plan, and stay tuned for more of that. And coming up, we got... Everything about the new vaccines and what to do about COVID.
1: Welcome to your life under lockdown segment. Haven't done one of these in a little bit, but we're still under lockdown because the COVID-19 pandemic is still going on. But we have good news. We have vaccines. We have more vaccines uh, that, that are on the way. So let's talk about the latest vaccine. The latest one is Johnson & Johnson. Okay, Johnson & Johnson is most likely going to get approved by the FDA very soon. Could be in the next two weeks. It is 63% effectiveness and 85% effective against uh, bad COVID, which means that you have to go to the hospital or that you, you know, die. It does also provide some prevention against the new strands, so, Hills, what are your thoughts about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that could be coming out very shortly?
0: I mean, more vaccines are great, and I think they may not be as effective in terms of, like, stopping COVID all the way as the other ones that are out there. But 63% regular effectiveness and 85% against bad COVID, I mean, and maybe some effectiveness uh, against the new strains of COVID. I mean, if, if this is available for to you you should you should get it i mean my yeah my wife and i just joke that like uh uh-uh we only get in moderna and we only get in the pfizer like (laughs) we we want that 95 we joke about that but i think that's actually you know it's something that i think the people who make these vaccines need to consider in their communication strategy like why should i go for the 63 percent instead of the 95 percent? it's because it protects you no matter it protects you at a level than you're at now And that's more than zero. Right.
1: There are flu vaccines in the past that have been 40% effective, right? But people still get them, right? I mean, you know, I was fortunate enough to to get the Pfizer vaccine, my my first dose. I had my second dose in nine days. Um, And there's absolutely no reason not not to get the vaccine. Uh, Regardless of the vaccine that you get, because there are some more coming down the pipeline, right? Nobody has died from COVID who's gotten the vaccine. Like, that's all it it doesn't matter, you know, how effective it is. But in Johnson and Johnson, right, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, right, no one's died. Right. And and that's all you need to know to get the vaccine. Right. Would you like your vaccine to be, you know, 95 percent? Like, sure, of course. Right. But the fact that no one's died regardless of the vaccine that they've gotten should tell you all you need to know about getting the vaccine.
0: Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, like this protects you from from COVID. And I, I, I think that Johnson and Johnson may end up being the vaccine that many, many people get, just because they're a humongous company, right? And so they, they are probably already producing millions of, they have the manufacturing capability for this. Maybe that Pfizer is also really big, but I don't know. I mean it hasn't been as many places as you think, but I have a feeling that Johnson and Johnson is going to be a strong one in the mix. So if you're if you're thinking about getting it, get it.
1: Yeah. Well, in Johnson Johnson, there's only one dose, right? And it doesn't have to be stored at ridiculously cold t- temperatures. So that helps that vaccine as well. Um, so we are ramping up the vaccines. And now that we have an adult in the White House, uh, we, we, you know, we wish all thanks to Biden and his immediately um, using the Defense Production Act to get more manufacturing out there. Um, once the supply is plentiful, especially with more vaccines, um, we should be seeing, uh, and I hope we will be seeing, mass vaccinations for everybody. The Biden administration has said anyone who wants to get a vaccine will be able to get one in the in the late spring or summer. You know, I think we should be patient and, and just hope that, you know, by the fall, anyone who wants a vaccine can, can, can get one. Uh, I just saw that Biden... Uh, the Biden administration released that 40 million people have gotten the vaccine at time of re- recording. Uh, they are doing well over a million doses a day, which is great. And, you know, hopefully he's on, he's, he, he's on par for hitting his, uh, hundred million vaccines and a hundred million arms, um, in a hundred days or whatever. Um, hopefully he's on target for that. So what does it mean for us? Uh, COVID isn't over. Um, and, uh. If you get it, if you can get it, um, it, it being uh, the vaccine, not COVID, you should 100% uh, get it. It will help you, right? Doctors know how to treat COVID better, especially with these vaccines out there, right? But, it can, but COVID can and has overrun and overwhelmed the healthcare system. So you need to be aware of that. You can't just start going out places just yet. Um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we are in this for the next few months. Hills, any last thoughts about vaccines?
0: I laughed a little bit. You, don't don't get COVID. Get the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, this this is right. I, I, I
1: <laughs> you gotta clarify. Gotta clarify for the
0: people. Yeah. Don't get COVID. Get the vaccine. Yeah. Do not get COVID. I think we're gonna see a lot of improvement over the next month and a half. With because Biden put all this into place in the like his first two weeks in office. So it, you know it takes time to actually get things rolling, but. The biggest thing that I've seen reports from the Biden people have said is that like the production level of the vaccine was just there was no sort of structured input from the federal government on doses, on logistics. And I think with a competent person in the White House, as you said, Josh, I think we're going to be seeing available more to more and more people. And it'll actually be like, oh, wow, um, I can go get at my local pharmacy somewhere. Right. Right. So keep the faith. It's, it's, this is coming. We may not be back to normal this year, but we're going to be in a much better place. I have a feeling by, you know, th- this fall.
1: Absolutely. I'll see one last thing. Is you made a good point, Hills. When when Biden came in, he was hoping there was going to be some plan for the Trump administration. There was nothing. The Trump administration had no plan for how to deal with this, and Biden had t- taken him some time to ramp it up. But it's starting. I just saw it at my local uh, grocery store. They said, if you want the COVID vaccine, please call and make an appointment. So I think, you know, that's that, that, that's helpful. You don't have to go to a hospital. You can go to your local grocery store or lo- local pharmacy. I think that will start helping. But we have our sweet dessert. That's coming up right now, Hills.
0: Hello, everybody. For your dessert today, we're going to be talking about how Lou Dobbs has got no job. So... On late Friday night, news broke that Lou Dobbs' show on Fox News was immediately canceled. Immediately, and I think we—I I was thinking in my head like there could be a song about this. Like Lou Dobbs has got no job. Lou Dobbs has got no job. Anyway, that's <laughs> <laughs> terrible song.
1: Great song. Great song. Gonna gonna store to the to, to store to number one in, in in iTunes.
0: It should. Thirty seconds. That's all you need. So, <laughs> more details has emerged as he's not expected to be back on air at all, on Fox News at least. Lou Dobbs has a history of saying very racist, sexist, and largely authoritarian lies to suck up to Trump on his, on his TV show. He once put a poll out on a show that said, how is Trump doing as president? And they had three choices and they were like, excellent, great, good. <laughs> there was no like, like it was. It was one of those things that like, oh, okay. So you're you're very biased media that clearly is like, <laughs> that's what you see in authoritarian countries. So this comes after Fox News was hit with a 2.7 or 2.9 billion dollar lawsuit by Smart Manic, the vote machine manufacturer, for spreading unfounded lies about the 2020 election on air. And of course, Lou Dobbs was one of the first people to be spreading you know he spread this every night this also likely has to do with ad revenue for Fox News being down across the board Um, if you if you look at ad revenue for Tucker Carlson show and Lou Dobbs they make a lot of really crazy remarks and advertisers don't want to be on the show anymore so they just stop so ad revenue was down and with no more Trump to suck up to viewers had no reason to tune in both for business and legal reasons You know, Donald Trump's spokesperson tweeted the former president's support for Lou Dobbs and said he was watching, quote, this patriot closely, unquote. And we have one less fascist liar on the airwaves. Josh, what are your thoughts on Lou Dobbs?
1: Oh, it was the Friday night treat that I needed this this week. Um, What a what what a great way to uh, to end the week. Lou Dobbs got no jobs. You know, I think it's important, like Trump said. We should all watch this Patriot closely. So
0: <laughs> we should watch this uh what is he, sixty or seventy year old <laughs> yeah. Patriot and the winning parts of his career very, very closely.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Fox News' ratings have been down significantly at you know, really since um election night. I think uh CNN or uh MSNBC or as Trump likes to call it, uh MSDNC. Ah. See that? Yeah. Um, um, those ratings have been really, really high. Rachel Maddow's show was the number one watched show on, at 9 p.m. last week, I think. You know, hopefully... And now, some of this is due to the fact that Fox viewers are switching over to Newsmax and uh, OAN. Anytime we can get a fascist liar off the airwaves, better for us, better for the country.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And wh- one person made a comment, which I thought was an interesting one, where... You know, Bill O'Reilly, a few years ago, got canned by oh, Fox yeah. News. And then that, that promoted Tucker Carlson. So who are they going to put in that slot that Lou Dobbs had occupied? And are they going to be worse? Or are they going to be like, I'm assuming Fox News is going to double down on the oh, conservative yeah. commentary. Because there's no reason not to, now that they're in the opposition, right? There's no reason not to stoke up, you know, the viewership. But now they have more competition yeah, from OAN and Newsmax, and I don't think OAN and Newsmax are taking a huge share of Fox's viewers, but I do think they're probably taking a very core loyal support from like the viewership that Fox had. Right. So like the people who like tuned in every night religiously are maybe not anymore, and that is probably more impactful than the people who just have it on in the background.
1: Right. Right. You have that uncle that's trying to watch daytime news at two p.m. You know, he's, he's really going to be missing Lou Dobbs, so he's going to switch right over to Newsmax. So.
0: Lou Dobbs, you know, for whenever he does something crazy and said something crazy, it would go viral, right? right. It, would, yeah. it would make more people, like, it, it's like the whole self-fulfilling prophecy of the media, right? You say something crazy, you don't get punished for it, you get rewarded by more viewers because it's like a sideshow and everyone wants to watch it.
1: Here at uh, Three Course Politics, we wish Lou Dobbs the worst, and uh, hope that he doesn't get on the air anytime soon again.
0: You know, there's cancel culture, but yeah, when you're like a literal authoritarian Nazi, you get canceled. So that's...
1: <laughs> when, you, when you have your show and you ask how the president's doing, and your options are excellent, great, or good, you're you're not a news show. You're a, you're, an, you're someone who likes Trump, who has an hour to talk about TV. Sorry, get out of here.
0: Yeah, start a podcast like us. Perfect. That's where you belong. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with, with this, <laughs> we, we're moving on from Lou Dobbs in more ways than one, and uh, <laughs> we have your pre-dinner shot answer coming right up. So
1: welcome to your pre-dinner shot answer. Once again, the question was, when was the last time the Senate was split 50-50? If you shouted out into the streets, 2001, you were correct. Because that's when the Senate was last split fifty-fifty. Uh, they had there were various political reasons, and um, they had a power-sharing agreement uh, that they got to back in 2001, and as well as current day. You have to have a power-sharing agreement between the two parties so that regular Senate business can get done. The 2021 agreement that McConnell and Schumer came to was uh, mostly based on the 2001 rules that were set in place the last time this happened. McConnell uh, wanted a promise from the Democrats that they would not use the filibuster. Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Sinema gave him their, their promise, their word. And as we know, a politician never breaks their promise. So,
0: <laughs>
1: you know, we're hoping that Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Sinema find uh, the courage they need to, if, if need be, to get the filibuster passed. But that's your answer, Hills. 2001, 20 years ago.
0: 20 years ago. I mean, it's, I, I think it was like the first modern agreement of their time. So it's probably a good thing that the current agreement is based on that. And if you're looking at the show notes where the, there's an article that we link to the power sharing agreement, it's from CNN in 2001, and you'll be greeted by a very old looking website. So.
1: Oh, uh, that's
0: exciting. Go click it. It'll make you uh, think about the past when websites looked very, very retro.
1: Oh, God. I Click on it right now. I, I don't like that at all.
0: Are you hearing the dial-up speed in the background? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that's, that's your answer. Thank you very much, Josh. And before you go, we have a few important messages for you. Next episode, we're going to have another special guest on the pod. So get excited. Get ready for it. It's going to be fun. So I uh, hope you stay tuned for that. The intro and the outro music is by Brett Hillsberg, and the transition music is by Joseph McDade. If you enjoy our pod, as we asked you in the beginning, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. It helps us, it helps you, and we love you for it. Leave us a written review if you really love the podcast, and if we get five or more reviews, it will make the show turn up for more and more folks. So anything, a quick great show, great pod would be lovely. If you have any questions, you can always email us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody, and have a great day. Thank you, everyone. Bye.